David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. This is Christ's example of humility. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Reading from the book of Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thank you. So this morning is the last of our three-part series called Christmas Changes Everything. And uh, if you've missed the first two weeks, don't worry, I'll give you a quick crash course on what was said. But the first week that we looked at as to how Christmas changes everything is really looking at the why. That's the place to start this morning, is why on earth is there a Christmas? Some of you kiddies see Christmas as an opportunity to get what you really want. Eh? You get gifts and you get all excited about what you could possibly get. But actually, Christmas is a lot more than giving and receiving of gifts. You see, the world needed rescuing. And we looked at how, in week one, the history of the world is a history of failed restarts. We looked at examples in Scripture of how God called out men to establish his work, his original intent for creation, but they couldn't do it. And they tried over and over again, but failed. Until there was a glorious moment, Christmas Day, when Jesus was born. And this happened at the exact right time for the world. And we said, you know, this history of failed restarts in the world is really the story of our lives, is that our lives are a history of failed restarts. And if we're really honest amongst each other this morning, you and I can both be frank and say, we live with lives of regret. There are decisions that we've made, actions that we've done, things that we've said that we can't take back. And we try to pull up our socks and say, I'll never do it again. I wonder how many of us this morning have said to a spouse, I will never say that again. Or I'll never do that again. Man, by next week, she or he is 
pulling up the card of saying, what was that? Yeah? How many of you said to your parents, Mommy, I will never, ever, ever do that again. I'm so sorry. Man, you've been taken to the bathroom the next week for uh, more than a scolding for something that you said you would never do. How many of us this morning have said to God, bargained with Him, I'll never do that again. But you see, the problem is, you and I are in trouble because no matter how hard we try, we can't seem to get the restart to stay. And what this does in us is that it creates a deep sense of shame. For most of us here this morning, if you've gotten to know yourself as a human being, we walk around with shame. There are some people that we cannot look in the eye. There are some thoughts that are just too painful to go to. Regrets. And what shame is rooted in really is guilt. And how this plays out is we try and remedy the guilt by pulling up our socks higher and higher. But the problem is our socks can't go all the way to where it needs to be, nor do they stay there. And that creates a crisis in you and me. And this is what humanity knows in their lives. A crisis of shame and guilt masked by a desperation to get it right over and over again. And we said the reason for this is because humanity and because of humanity's actions, the world by extension is trapped in what is known as sin. And we said, as those of you who are parents here this morning, it's just so evident. The reason why there is such a thing as parenting is because you have to shape the natural inclination of your child away from destruction. <laughs> My little 11-month-old, soon to be one, she knows by instinct how to disobey me. Christmas Eve last night, beautiful table set. Sarah's in her high chair and she's banging on the, the table as hard as she can. The glasses are about to fall off. Sarah, don't do that. <laughs> her, her cousin joins in as well. And this is what happens in us. Is the reason why, children, you have a mom and dad is the grace of God. Because our natural instinct is for destruction. And this is the wonder of why Christmas is there. It's because God sent a Savior. And the only way you connect with Jesus is if you connect with the need of what it feels like to be saved. That guilt, that shame, that regret, that desperation of not being able to get it right, not being able to absolve oneself, drives us to Him. And what Jesus did was he offered the world through his body and bloodshed on the cross a brand new start, a radical restart. It was literally in John chapter 3 called being born again. And we said it's for those who come to this place of honesty and go, you know what, I'm sick and tired of going in the cycle of trying to absolve the guilt, absolve the shame, fix my life and fail it's those of us who can come to this place of saying we need a Savior that are able to look to Jesus and see what He offers and what we need to do in that moment in order to get His restart, His forgiveness of sin, His breaking of its power, us literally being born again on the inside, is by putting our faith in Him. We lean into Jesus. It is a shifting, we said, 
from confidence in ourselves and our efforts to Him. That's the point of salvation. But week two said, Jesus is not only the Savior or the, the God of who was, He's also the God who is. And we said Jesus changes our present, not just our past. And the way He does it is the second we look to what He did in the past, the cross, and we place all of our confidence in what He has done for us, what that does in us is something profound. In John chapter 14, verse 23 says, The Father and the Son, Jesus, literally come and make their home in us by the Holy Spirit. And we said the radical thing about the gospel, this good news of what Christ has done for us, it's not just 2,000 years ago. Christmas is not just a historical event. No, no, this morning, whilst we were worshiping Jesus, we could feel the sense of his power and presence being poured out on us, is that the wonder of the gospel is this. It's not a once-off event. It is living out a lifetime promise of the Father and the Son dwelling in us by the Spirit. And we said last week, that means for the Christian, is we have incredible comfort regardless of what we're facing. Some of us are facing financial difficulties that we don't have any control over. Some of us are facing family members who are destroying themselves and we have no control over. Some of us have sickness in our bodies, an aging process knowing that we have no control over. Doctors have tried. People have tried to alleviate that. And what is the comfort? Is that Christmas says, God doesn't just save us and leave us. God dwells in us by the power of the Spirit. And so when we were worshiping this morning, Jesus is right here with us. When we're praying and we're desperate for relief, Jesus is right there with us. The joy and the pain, regardless, Jesus is right there with us. And we said that this incredible gospel, this good news of Christ crucified for us, introduces not only incredible peace by his presence, it introduces a conflict within ourselves. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 34, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. In other words, he has come not just to speak peace to all men, but to confront all men. This is a big point. Is that you've got to know... The reason why Jesus is such an awkward topic around the dinner table, the reason why Jesus is so difficult to share, the reasons why Jesus is so difficult to be able to be uh, frank about is because Jesus has postured, postured himself towards the world in a way that we cannot be neutral towards him. And what this gospel has done is not only bring good news, but a confrontation where there is no gray Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, there it is, there is the narrow gate. No man comes to the Father but through him. And so for you and me this morning, it's not possible for us to be neutral towards Jesus. Either you reject him or you receive him. Either you see him as Lord or you see him as a fiction. This morning, Jesus doesn't let us be in the comfort zone of ambiguity of the gray. 
And I want to ask you this morning, Christmas crashed into the world, and it does today, into our lives, by Jesus presenting himself to us as saying, who do you say that I am? Am I the way, the truth, and the life? Am I the pathway to the Father? Or am, am I fiction? And this morning, it is still the same for the believer. Is that the second Jesus stepped into our lives, he gave us peace in a whole lot of areas, but he introduced a whole lot of other conflicts too. <laughs> it's because this revolutionary Jesus Christ, his words, his teaching, confronts sin in us. And Jesus didn't just come as a means of payment of sin. He came as a rescuer of sin. And so salvation is not an insurance policy to keep us the way that we were before we were saved. No, no. Salvation is an engine, the power of the Holy Spirit, to start to drive us to look increasingly like Jesus. And so Christmas changes everything because Christmas introduced Christ by the power of the Spirit in you and me. And that means Jesus confronts us in the way that we think, in the way that we talk, in the way that we motivate our lives and what we run after. And so we said last week that if we look back from last Christmas, the natural right response to the gospel is we should see change. We should see change. Is we should not be looking the same way as we did last year because the right outworking of Christmas, of this Christ coming, not only 2,000 years ago, but in us by the power of the Spirit, is that we begin to look increasingly like Him. And when we resist Him, that's where the misery creeps in for the Christian. We said that the part where we have no free conscience, the part where we struggle to have a life of faith that is settled in us, where we feel at peace with God and the world, is we struggle to enter into that place because Christ is continually confronting us in the way that we live. And so He not only brings peace through His presence, He brings conflict through His Word, and the way we enter into what He has for us is through obedience. And this week, we're going to look at Jesus, not only the one who was, who changes our past, not only the one who is, who changes our present, but man, he is the one who is to come, and he's going to change our future. And the best way of describing this is, who have you got a picture frame for Christmas? Any of you got a picture frame? They're quite common gifts, or birthday present. Did you get one? Great, okay. So, when you look at a picture... Do you notice that it looks very different once you put it into the frame? Not so? Some of us have seen a great painting, but when we look at the frame, it looks really ugly. <laughs> Some of us have seen a really ugly painting, but you, you love the frame. <laughs> this is what Christmas does for us. Is it gives us a frame through which we look at the present, and the frame is the future. We look at the present through this photo frame of the future. Because Christmas is not only something that happened 2,000 years ago, Christmas is going to happen again. Jesus is going to come again. And as I'm already from Acts chapter 1, but this time when he comes again, he's not going to come as a little baby, obscure, poor, not known to the world. He's going to come in glory. And this Christmas is going to usher in an incredible change. But until that happens, you and I are left in a bit of a tension. 
See, what Jesus started 2,000 years ago, he hasn't finished yet. And so his work in the world is working itself out just like his work is working itself in us. And so we are continually being called to change. But there will be a moment, there will be a moment in time when Jesus Christ will come again on clouds of glory. And that means we're waiting in expectancy. And that means we can be saved, yet still be a work in progress. We can be saved, but still, like me, have to watch what I say. Maybe like me, you have to watch that self-pity. God is working on us, but there will be a moment when that will not be needed anymore. It'll be a moment when there will be no more sickness, no more weakness, no more temptation, no more sin. And so what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says, we need to frame this life in what is to come. He says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time, that's our experiences now, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And for the Christian, you can only frame your current experience, this present time, clearly when we consider what it looks like through this coming glory. And so, Paul says, and it came through in worship this morning, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so, our last week three is this is that our confidence is not in what is, but is in what is to come. Is that for the Christian, Christmas changes everything because it shapes our future, not only our past and present, and the way we posture ourselves for the future shapes how we think in the present. I want to say this morning... The embarrassment for the church has been men who have tried to predict his coming. And maybe you've seen on headlines the church falling into ridicule because of men and women saying, we know when he's coming. We know. We've calculated the day or the hour. I want to say every single one of them have been wrong. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36, he says, No one knows the day or the hour, not even the Son or the angels, but only the Father who is in heaven. And so we wait. We wait. And we wait for this in Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5. John, in this prophecy, is caught up. He says, Then I saw, listen to this, a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Is that incredible? Is that incredible? Believers, that is what is in store for us. That what Christ has bought us on Christmas Day is not just a salvation of our past. It's not just a salvation from our present. It is a salvation for the future. And it's this hope inside of us that shapes our posture now. And I wish I had the words or the picture to describe to us this morning of what that day is going to be like. But I'll tell you one thing, I'm living for it. I'm living for it. This moment is framed in the eternal. And I've staked my life on it. This morning. Anne-Marie, I want you to hold this part, this, uh, and I want you to pass this ball around the whole room, okay, until it's finished, and then you hold on to the piece that you've gotten, all right. Let's do it as quickly as possible. That's it, you just keep going. You can even throw it right at the back if you want. <laughs> Maybe it'll get to Sarah. I'm not sure. There we go. It's hot. Let's go. Quick, quick, quick. There we go. Hot potato. Please be careful at the end of the sermon. All right. Don't. <laughs> there we go. Let's go. Let's go. Over to Uncle Alf when you're done there. There we go. There we go. Almost there. You ready, my love? It's going to come to you. Who of you have a little red dot on the line? A little red stripe. Any of you have a little red stripe? Look on your line. It could be close. It could be. Do you have it, Linda? Do you want to quickly stand and just show the congregation that little red stripe? Do you see how small that is? That is 70 years in 10,000. And I want you to remember this. This is only 10,000 years, and that's the blip that our lives are this side of the grave. Imagine eternity. And what we do is we live for those 70 years as, they, as though they are the ones that count when this is what counts. This is what's waiting. And so the Bible says the man and woman of wisdom considers their life 
by weighing up the non-red parts of the string. They invest there. That's what they're living for. And the unwise man and woman is those who just live for the 70 years. And so I want to say this morning, in our final parting shot on this series, if you are sick this morning, it will only be for that red strip unless God heals you. If you are suffering this morning, you endure because that little red strip is for how long it's going to be. If you are struggling to think that you have missed out on life, that somehow your bucket list is not going to finish, you'll have a whole eternity to do it in. This morning, you need to know that what is coming far outweighs what is. And I want you to go into this next year with this reality of recognizing what really counts. Is that Jesus said in... Don't store up, store up treasure where moth and rust destroy, but in heaven. And Paul says, we will enter into glory, but we will enter differently. Because everything that we do for Jesus, faithful living, might not be recognized in the red strip, but will be rewarded in the white in eternity. And so... How does Christmas change everything? It changes our past because there is forgiveness through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. It changes our present because we receive His presence in our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, but also confronts us to change because He's calling us into an ever-increasing degree of glory. He is readying us for part three where Christmas changes our future because He's coming again. And we will be with him in glory. And so we resist temptation. We endure suffering. We embrace persecution. We are willing to lay down our own desires and dreams for what we are going to be given in the next. And as Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 to 14 says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who have not yet come to a place of faith, I want to invite you to think about Christmas afresh this year. There's no neutrality around him. For the believer, I want to invite you to look at your life afresh in view of eternity and to ask yourself the question, are you ready? Let's pray. As Gary gets ready a video, I'm going to invite you just to sit for a moment after I'm finished speaking. And we're going to show a video on the screen. It's going to have some words. It's going to be music. But I want you to consider what it says. And then we're going to end off and you're going to go and enjoy a great Christmas day with your family and friends. But be, Lord, before we do that, we just want to take this moment. We want to just remember the vastness of what you've done for us. And so as the song is playing, Lord, we just pray, quieten our hearts and help us to meditate on just what you've done. Lord, that's the day we live for. And so God, as we just...
come to this end of our Christmas series, Lord, of just pondering and reflecting and being challenged by what you've done starting at 2,000 years ago. Lord, we just want to be a people as we leave from this place ready. And so, God, we're asking for your hand to be upon us. We're asking, God, for your spirit to rise up within us. And we're asking, God, as we leave and enjoy and celebrate this day together of what you've done for us, Lord, would you be near to us? Would you help us increasingly think about, ready ourselves for, and give ourselves to you the moment when we'll see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.